You're the resurrection that we waited for. You buried the night. I'm afraid that far too many Christians live like Lot's wife. We accept the escape plan. We're eager to be saved from the destruction when Jesus returns, but when we live our lives, we live it looking backwards, longing for sin even. We can either live for ourselves or we can live for the King, King Jesus. We live for King Jesus not by looking back at what the world offers, but looking forward to his return and the kingdom's coming. We live for King Jesus by living like King Jesus lived, by carrying our cross, denying ourselves, and following him. In this week's sermon, Pastor Kelly preached on Luke 17, 20 to 37, where Jesus talks about the coming kingdom of God. Kelly gave us the charge to look forward to what we are being saved to instead of looking back to what we are saved from. He uses he used the illustration of Lot's wife, and today we'll be discussing questions around these verses and more. Stay tuned from Glen Allen Bible Church. I'm Matt Marone. I'm John Vanderbilt. We miss Beth Moss, and I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode number 197 on the Next Level Podcast. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How is Beth doing? Still in quarantine. Doing great. Just having to sit at her house, I understand. Yeah. It's a bummer. I think we're coming out of it, though. Let's not get bogged down in. <laughs> Don't y'all think things are getting better? Just yeah. attendance alone on Sunday morning is encouraging. Yes. People are feeling, well, people are getting vaccinated. I, people are feeling comfortable. We had people come back for the first time. One person, uh, a longtime devoted member, back for the first time in like 13 months. It's long. Wow. So it was... It's good to it see feels people. full again from the platform. Like it, looking mm-hmm. out, it just yeah, feels it looks out, full. Yeah. When you say full, you mean COVID full. <laughs> yeah, compared to what it was before COVID, it's a half. But, yes, right, right, right. But yes. it, it is, the room is filling up more and more and more every every yes. week. I just now understood what you said. I thought you meant like COVID full, like you were making a joke, like there's a lot of COVID in no. there. <laughs> That's why I was it like. It is full for the COVID reality. Where, yes. Yep. It is full and climbing. It was a good Sunday. It was a good um, Sunday. I thought your message was great. It was, it was great. great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the best one yet. Yet. <laughs> Just keep getting better and better every week. I know. Someday you'll have the perfect sermon. This is going to be an interesting podcast because Kelly has he, not had lunch yet. He hasn't Dude, had so lunch yet. so big and hangry. <laughs> awesome. Let's get him fired up. Let's poke the bear, man. I've got some. I've got All some, right. I know what can make it even worse. I've got some vegan sausage patties in the freezer. Ooh. <laughs> if you were closer, I might take a swing at you. <laughs> I, you were... Did you stay up late Saturday night? Vegan sausage patties? What is that? They're lentil patties made by Hillary's out of Lawrence, Kansas. Plug. Sounds awful. Um, (laughs) Did you stay up late Saturday night? Like to 9.30? Yeah. (laughs) You text me that you were going to bed at 9.30. I'm like, all right. Is that just something you You guys do? Every night. You don't text text people and say goodnight? Hey, bro, goodnight. (laughs) <laughs> it's the first time Kelly's ever texted me and said good night. I'm going to bed. It was co- it was we leave, were, me, leave me alone now. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. I'm going to bed, guys. We were yeah. texting about something church related, and 
Kelly was in the conversation, and then Kelly wanted to bow out of the conversation. I think I'm going to try that one night. I'm just going to randomly, no pretext going yeah. on, just randomly, hey, bro, good night. Good <laughs> just night. to some dude that I know. You <laughs> hey, know? I'm heading to bed. Good night. <laughs> hey, just yeah. thinking about you sleep before well. I go to bed. Wanted hey, to say good night. I'm eating vegan patties here. <laughs> man, these vegan patties are making me sleepy. So uh, they're not vegan, though. They're plant-based. I prefer the term plant-based. Oh. Is that a thing now? It's a distinction well, without a difference. Well, vegan. I don't like the baggage. Vegan technically, <laughs> vegan technically means like you don't wear weird you know, yes. leather. You don't right. like really. That's what that should mean. Yeah. You frown all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing all our. Oh, yeah. all right. oh great! Here comes the emails about clarifying everything. Oh, it was a good. It was a good Sunday. Though. It was good to see Amy Heavey back up on the platform. She uh, she did a good job, and I appreciated her prayer. Yeah. That was, was really, good. really sweet. I was, uh, hmm? you, you had, I mean, you're, you were great. You're all, you're <laughs> solid. You hit, you hit a single all the time. I got on base, I hope. Da- I watched, Daddy's not mad. I, but, <laughs> <laughs> I, watched, I watched the first service very closely because yeah. we're streaming sure. and all that. Yeah. And I then I sat with my family in the second service and I was like, oh, there's Kelly. He's, <laughs> The one that mentions, your, uh, your I've got, I got things running through my mind that can't be mentioned from the platform. I don't Kelly? know. I don't know what it was, but nine o'clock, you yeah. seemed less ener- like you were tired. It wasn't bad, dude. It really wasn't. But there's a yeah. section here. Review Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. You're, I'm giving you the opportunity to say why. And I know why. Oh, I don't know why. Because you're not. We're not doing Thursday anymore. Well, yeah. I, I used that excuse a week ago, so I don't know what the excuse is. <laughs> I uh, stream I took ate, you off. Uh, I ate cost, pizza, cost I ate pizza at 9.15, and then I went to bed at 9.28, John. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you could have heard that text when I said, I'm going to bed. It sounded like this. Yeah, right. I'm going, bro. <laughs> I'll tell you, I was super encouraged by the response in prayer. So uh, during the COVID reality, we haven't been inviting people down front for the uh, the obvious mini- reasons. Yeah, the ministry of prayer. And um, man, first service, uh, we invited people down and boom, people came. Yeah. I think we prayed for five people first service. Not that we haven't been praying for people in general this whole yeah, time. Right. But you're talking about we specific kind of one on one prayer. We said, come we forward did. for prayer if you want it was to pray still outside. Kind of and then and, did, yeah. I felt like we did one here a couple We've months ago, it, yeah, but yeah. it just. Yeah. yeah. I was ready to pray with my mask off last service. And you said, I'm going to put my mask back. I think you were doing it to make people feel comfortable. Yeah, well, it wasn't about you. So third service is mask like, oh. optional. And so when I said, if you'd like prayer, come on down. I'll put my mask on and we can pray with optimal safety. And I just want, I did want that question to keep people from coming yeah, down. Right. That feels totally. consistent though. Cause even yeah, at that you're service, cl- you're still telling people, we're still telling people to wear their masks as they walk out. Yeah. So it, it still feels somewhat consistent. So I was just really encouraged uh, by prayer response, response to prayer. I, I am looking for opportunities to pray with people increasingly for their healing, physical, emotional uh, well-being. And, and people came forward for that, right? You oh mentioned. yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for, for specifically for healing. Yes, absolutely. So, um, and I, in during the times of prayer, I felt like the Lord was caring for people. Um, to your point, though, it, it, it felt very, it felt normal. More normal. Yes. I mean, it's abnormal because right. it's... it's unique, It was the most normal in, yeah. what, 13 months, 14 months. Yeah. So, great. I was I was super encouraged. I mean, that's a blessing for me. It's um, 
It's the most fun, actually. I mean, I enjoy preaching, but the ministry of prayer, um, while the congregation is singing, is um, it's a powerful. If, and I'm actually, we're going to try to get the band back together. By that, I mean, we're going to try and get the, the prayer team back together and get Good. that mobilized again. And, At all three? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll wade into the waters, but we need some female representation down front um, as we rebuild the team. We need pe- fe- women ready to receive and pray for other women, and that would help. And I was also encouraged by the number of college kids. Yeah, every week yeah, there's, there's a consistent group, and then they bring friends. Yeah. And pr- I mean, specifically, it's Wheaton College, kids that are coming from Wheaton College. We have kid- kids. They're not kids, students. right? Students. <laughs> young adults. S- young adults. Students from Wheaton College walking on the prairie path. To our church. To our church, which yeah. is which is a commitment in the morning. <laughs> you know, since I've been at Glowing Bible Church, the college tr- the college kids that do best at Glowing Bible Church are the college kids that, well, it goes without saying, really want to be here because it takes a fair bit of effort to get here. Yeah. They have to hitch rides and whatnot. Uh, we're not as close to the campus as other churches. And then the college kids that plug in for service, I think of Caleb Rathbun, uh, who is plugging in in worship leadership. And we have college kids that serve in our kids' ministry. Kelsey Benware, new yeah. singer. She's singing this weekend. Yeah. She? and um, So there's, you've got to get plugged in to, to really get to know people. And I see these college kids doing that. So. Yeah, a bunch of them are volunteering in student ministries yeah. and attending here on I saw on one. Uh, I saw one college kid, uh, college-aged person, whatever you call it, um, student out there uh, drumming, air drumming while we were worshiping, and I thought, "You, dude, I'm coming to talk to you." <laughs> nice. <laughs> you got to get up here, man. I air do, drum, if, and you never come talk to me. <laughs> so, if people are air guitaring, do you talk to them? As no, well? that is those a would hard. Be the, those no. would be the hard pass, right? That is, that's a hard <laughs> pass. It is, uh, yeah. Oh. Unless you're in an air guitar competition, right? Which, if you've never seen those, you should Google those. Those are awesome. They serve oh. vegan patties there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, well, no, no, that is a, that like is a meat cigarettes. potatoes and, <laughs> and Jägermeister <laughs> type of culture. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, should we get into some podcast questions? We should as quick as possible. All right, here we go. <laughs> Thinking about Sunday's sermon, it's clear that the sinner's prayer must be paired with ongoing life evidence of repentance. How do flawed Christians take this as seriously as it sounds while still holding to our assurance of salvation? Put differently, when is it appropriate for someone to doubt or question the authenticity of their faith based on the fruit of their life? Yeah, I think this question um, originates kind of with uh, the notion that Lot's wife was almost saved from Sodom. Almost. And so there's several questions that were submitted by folks having to do with the assurance of salvation. Yeah. And so this listener asks, you know, you pray the sinner's prayer, um, you receive Christ as Savior, then you begin following him, uh, but we're flawed. Uh, we do get entangled in sin. Which should we be nervous, uh, wondering if we're saved? Um, because there is a degree, a reality to which we all look back. Uh, we all look back like Lot's wife did. So, I, you know, most succinctly put, we should be concerned about our salvation if we have no interest in forsaking sin. Uh, you know, John Piper famously said, and I'm sure he stole this from some other preacher, he, he said, uh, if you hate your sin, you should be assured of your salvation. Hmm. Uh, because not everybody hates their sin. Hmm. But if you don't hate your sin, 
you, you have reason to be concerned. If you have no interest in carrying your cross, no interest in, in being identified with Christ, you should be concerned. Getting entangled in sin should not cause us to doubt our salvation. Zero interest in getting out of our sin should be a cause. Uh, a disinterest in repentance. If, we, if we're not grieved over our sinfulness, mm-hmm. uh, we should be we should lack assurance. We should, we, should, uh, we should cry out as quickly as possible, Lord, yeah. have mercy on me. I think you're right in saying that maybe the, this question was spurred on by what you said when you said Lot's wife was almost saved. Because yeah. for the theatrics of picturing that, it, it's a nice way to say it. But is yeah. that even, to put on the, the- theology hat, is that, e- is that even possible? Okay, so... Or did you just say that as a... You know. He was almost saved from destruction. From Sodom. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I don't <laughs> She mean might to, have been saved. Yeah, quote I, unquote. <laughs> I don't mean to make a comment on her eternal destiny. That right. was not it. But Jesus said to his disciples, Remember Lot's wife. Jesus means for us to take it as a theological. Uh, point to be had. Do you, are you following me there? No, yeah, totally. Okay. So I don't know if Lot's I wife mean, I'm following. I don't know. was Matt, eternally Matt, saved Matt or not. not well, Nat's, uh, Matt's going to drill down on me here about, <laughs> so can we lose our salvation or not? <laughs> no, John and I were just having this discussion 40 minutes ago. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know whether Lot's wife was saved or unsaved, eternally speaking, heaven or hell speaking. Right. Uh, so what I meant, but I do mean to make the point that Jesus makes, we should remember Lot's wife. Um, because she she looked back and it had dreadful uh, in, impact on her in the temporal setting of time and space. So um, we we can take theological teachings for that. So Matt, what I would say is no, once saved, always saved. Yep. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but saving faith, the saving that always saves us, that is once saved, always saved. That reality perseveres. In other words, the saving faith that God's working in our life that cannot be lost does not look back in the way that Lot's wife looked back. Right. And so I want to comfort those asking, but I also want to warn those asking. And so here's the comfort. Assurance of salvation is objectively ours and subjectively ours. So there's an objective reality, uh, there's an objective assurance based upon God's sovereign purposes to save all he has predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, our assurance is separate from our feelings as well as our behavior, and it rests solely on the power of God to deliver from death all whom he has determined to save. In other words, God having begun a good work in us, to quote Paul, he's going to finish that work. He's saving us. We're not saving ourselves. He's holding on to us. We're not holding on to ourselves. Now, while our objective assurance is based upon God's purposes, the reality is God's saving purposes always produces obedience to some degree, however small, even in the life of the thief on the cross. Maybe, maybe. His demonstration of faith was his rebuke of the the sinner that was ridiculing Christ. 
there's always obedience. Saving faith always produces some level of obedience, and it varies person to person, and saving faith always perseveres, which isn't to say we won't get entangled in sin. I'll be honest with you, I've had days in my life when I thought, my gosh, Kelly, you're, you're mired in sin. You're, you're, you know, what's going on in you? Are you following Christ or aren't you? Mm. Getting entangled in sin isn't evidence that we aren't saved. It's evidence that we live in the world and that we need to stay in step with the Spirit and, and seek Christ. Now, so there's an objective reality to our assurance of salvation. It's based on what God's doing. It's separate from our behavior. Already. It's already done. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Justified. Sorry. Oh, and then yeah, I thought you might see where this is going. There's and, an already. But no, oh, yeah. not yet. And then there's this subjective reality. That it has to do with the feeling that we get of being saved and being in the process. And so we can have an assurance of salvation that is subjective, that it, it touches on our feelings. It invigorates us spiritually. Uh, when we're born again, for example, there's this testimony of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul says, speaking to our heart. So we can also draw comfort, a feeling of comfort. I'm, I'm talking about subjective assurance that may come or go. There's obedience to God's commands can subjectively make us feel as though we're being saved. We can see fruit of love and joy and peace and patience being born in our lives, and we can draw comfort from that. We don't base our salvation on feelings. They come and go. We, we base our salvation and our assurance of salvation on the objective work of God to save us. But we draw comfort um, from obedience, the fruit we bear, the testimony of the Holy Spirit to our heart. Now, it's interesting. Speaking of assurance, there are actually some things that can bog down the subjective experience. Um, some will possess feelings of assurance uh, and some will not. Sometimes there are psychological barriers. If, if you had a really bad home life and you come to faith in Christ, and Christ is described in Scripture as our heavenly Father, you're going to have all types of psychological barriers to feeling subjectively assured of your salvation. And it's those people and I've had, I, you know, I have a father wound. It's those people that actually wrestle with feeling loved by God. Has God really saved me? Am I saved? Sometimes these, and, and I wrestle with, I, I only felt like I was really being saved when I was obedient. And when I was disobedient, I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to let go of me and I'll not be saved. Instead of resting in the knowledge that my salvation is, is separate from uh, my behavior. So there can be psychological barriers, uh, suffering, chronic illness can make a lot of people question, gosh, does God love me? Am I saved? Am I one of his children? Mm -hmm. Is uh, he good? Is he good? Yeah. Is he really loving me? Is right. he so disobedience, disobedience. If you get entangled in sin, you can question, is God real? Is he raised? Is he powerful? Is he at work in my life? Is he saving me? And so... We just need to be careful with subjective feelings of assurance, enjoy them when they're there, recognize what may be barriers to our, our assurance of salvation, work through those barriers like I have done and continue to do with the father wound uh, that I have from my family of origin, and then relish and celebrate the objective fact that God is saving us. Yeah, good words. Very good. 
I think, again, we, we've talked about um, like the process. You mentioned a couple of the, the big kind of zinger words, like the ju- there's justification, sanctification, glorification, mm-hmm. how those work out in an individual's life. Sometimes they're not as feeling of linearness or, um, you know, the, the looking back over the course of our lives. You know, I've heard people say multiple times, like, I thought I was saved, bearing fruit, da 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 da. And I, I don't think I actually really had an encounter in relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's a little bit of the, the, um, what I was getting at with the, when I preached about the leper, the story of the lepers. I mean, people have experienced the goodness of God and they're walking, but they've never fully reconciled with Jesus Christ, that he is now the healer, that he is now the one that causes, you know, your salvation through him, faith in him. So, um, it can be that the process of, and the understanding of what is justification, what is sanctification, and then what is glorification mm-hmm. upon the return of, of Christ or our, our, our death and bringing, um, and celebration and, you know, with him in heaven, like wh- how those work with each other, how it plays out in our life, what assurance means and what it doesn't mean. Like, now you're justified so the rest of your life doesn't really matter. You can do whatever you want. You've chosen, you're saved, and so behavior no longer matters. Well, that's nowhere in Scripture that you can just do whatever you want, sin boldly, all these kind of the 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 bad side of Reformed theology, mm-hmm. if we're going to be honest. Sure. <laughs> the, frozen, the, the frozen chosen. Right? You do nothing with the grace. Do nothing experience. with the grace yeah. that God has given you. Well, there's you know a lot of questioning then that I have in that. But anyway, um, I think it's um, assurance of salvation is um, is an important concept for us to understand, as well as what does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is a process, right? Right. Yeah. So we say we are saved, but we're also being saved, yeah. <laughs> right? Not meaning that we're in jeopardy of, quote unquote, losing our salvation or going to hell tonight going. if yeah. we die, yeah. but that the work in our lives is ongoing. This, that's why there's things like, you know, phrases like shipwrecking, shipwrecking your faith, right? We've just talked about that this morning. Right. And, and I can, I can, um, Hey man, this is, we could go on and on, right? I could I could be justified, right? In and, right standing with God, having right, been born right, again, and and completely shipwreck my life. Yes, and my faith. Yeah, because of the choices I make, mm-hmm. the the refusal to engage in. I can feel the weight and the burden of a sinful life and choose to do nothing about it. Yep and ruin my family's experience, ruin my life experience, has nothing to do with the, how I'm justified, perhaps, <laughs> right? Well, so when someone comes to me and they say, um, hey, I'm, I'm living like hell because I'm sure heaven is my home, I would say... Are you sure? I would, right, <laughs> I would say... I would, and based in you know, pastoral, good pastoral theology is... Really? Really? Exactly. Really? 100%, Kelly. You, you yeah. feel really assured about that? You, you feel confident yeah. that you can live right. like hell? Why? What part of your life tells right. you? Yeah. So, at a, in fact, we know from Matthew 7 
that some people feel assured of their salvation and should not. Mm-hmm. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, we work miracles in your name. And he says, depart from me because I never knew you. Yeah. And so to your point, there is this, this, this punctiliar, this moment in time when we're known by God, that knowing takes place as we confess our sins, repent. That's part of the knowing, being known by God. And, and then there's this ongoing reality mm-hmm. of of working out our salvation, of, of, of following the Spirit, staying in step with the Spirit. Um, so it's a both and mm-hmm. to this person's question. Yeah, I'm amazed at how many Christians God saves, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm amazed at how many churchgoers God saves. Oh, I see what you're saying. Each and every right week. out of the pew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, guys, like, I, that's been most of my conversion story type experiences yeah. in, in, uh, in the Western suburbs is people. You mean that people who've continuously who, been going who to church may yes. identify they, as, as saying I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. They put that on their census. Uh, yeah. Right. Or I'm a churchgoer. And then, and then one day they realize, or, or over the, a, a, a period of time, they realize I'm, no, now I'm born again. Well, and I'll tell you, let me, <laughs> like, and now, and their life changes. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is what people are talking this about. This is different. This is different. I'm different. You know, um, men who, you know, I've spent time with that weeping in the front of church, yeah. coming forward for prayer and saying, I think today I was saved. Yeah. I wasn't before, and now I am. I've been going through the motions, and I don't want to nuance out what God <laughs> yeah, had did. Right. In it. That's not the it point. It could be true, but it, it could, could not be it true. It could be true. Right? It could just be an, an understanding, an awakening yeah. in their sanctification. I, I was going to say that I have times in the pulpit where the grace of God strikes me so powerfully. Yeah. I've actually been preaching thinking, oh, my gosh, am I being saved right here? <laughs> Which, right. you know, praise God. Right. You know, he's saving us. We're meeting with his grace daily. We right. should be rehearsing the gospel every day. Right. And so, yeah, I want more of his grace. Right, totally. <laughs> and, and if, if to, you know. Yeah, my point is I don't, I don't nuance that conversation with that person. I say, yeah. put the mark on it today. Yeah, great. Go and sin no more. Right. Walk, walk forward in the grace of God. Yeah. Let's how, how do we help you grow as a disciple? Let's work through your sanctification. This is awesome, man. Let, what a life change. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So. All right, let's go to the next question. This question's great. It, it, it is, it is. Um, okay, there's no verse 36 in the passage from the sermon. Why not? Where'd it go? There is a footnote for 36, but no verse. <laughs> well, yeah, the footnote great. says some manuscripts put in yeah. things that are similar to Matthew right. or something. Yeah, so if you didn't notice there's no verse 36, um, I, I want to, first of all, I really wrestled with whether or not to bring it up, but I thought, uh, that's why that we have a podcast. <laughs> sure. Right. There are other things. There's an economy of time. You you can only say so much from the pulpit, and we could get bogged down in talking about translation issues. So verse 36 is your classic textual variant, which means the ancient manuscripts disagree on whether it should be included and what exactly it would say. So we have thousands of copies that were circulated all over the globe of Luke, and they're in pieces. And through the piecing, we can put together the entirety of the Gospel of Luke. And and the NIV translators here are erring on the side. It's a conservative side. 
not wanting to include what is questionable, but actually, in translation, wanting to note what is questionable. I love this. <laughs> this is an opportunity for us to, to grow in our confidence of the translator's work. This is a huge opportunity. There is overwhelming evidence, and this is a part of that overwhelming evidence, that, the, that we have reliable manuscripts that address all major theological topics. Here's the point to be had from this. While there is a question about what Luke chapter 17, verse 36, should or should not say, the New Testament authors with full force agreed Jesus was raised and that we are saved by grace through faith in him. In other words, no one is questioning the textual evidence for 99.9% of the New Testament. No one. Everybody's agreeing on the historic manuscript evidence. But there are a couple spots in the New Testament where our translators want to be fully transparent and point out there is some disagreement and I find it hugely, hugely comforting that this one little verse on what may, and it's, it's the variant is, as the footnote says, that some people insert Matthew here, uh, what Matthew has on this same teaching. Um, and it's about um, those who are, um, when Christ returns, uh, don't go backwards, go forwards. I forget the exact. Did you look yeah. it up, John? No. Okay. I didn't. Sorry. Anyway, it's a minor, minor issue. <laughs> and, and, the, and the point is... Which most variants are very minor Oh, issues. there's just no... There is no disagreement on right. what New Testament authors are teaching about core theological issues. That Jesus was raised, uh, that salvation is by grace through faith in him alone, and mm -hmm. on the Trinity, uh, on and on and on and on. So I find it... It's a great question... And it's a point which we can be really encouraged. But I don't think it's a pulpit point to be made. Yeah. So I think there there's a there's another one of these John eight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where the um the story Jesus of writes in the dirt. She's caught uh, it's the woman in caught adultery, adultery and they and want to stone her. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I ask a Jesus I, stops the stoning and writes in the dirt. Yeah. I asked a t New Testament scholar once about it, and uh, Doug Moo, he teaches mm -hmm. at Wheaton. And, um, you know, he just, he says, it's, it's great that he was a part of the NIV translation. He yeah. says, it's great that we can, we know exactly what is, what the New Testament authors are saying. We know so precisely that if there's any variant, we can speak to it and exclude it or include it or let the reader make their own decision, which I just think is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right. Next question. This is kind of a fun one here. So Kelly, what was the cub, what was the cub saying that you almost used, but shied away from using from the pulpit? Maybe there's always next year. Would love to hear what you were thinking of. <laughs> so was this second service? It might or have been. I think it was I think it third. Was, no, yeah, I think third? this was the, there's the Kelly I know. And it's, it's really, <laughs> it's really the Kelly that should never be on the platform. Oh, <laughs> it's the Kelly I like. <laughs> uh, well, and I was actually thinking of, so what I said was, 
This is the classic case of two. You're I'm saved. Your You're <laughs> saved, dude. Just get up on the platform and let it fly. I'm no. looking at your notes on the question. It's <laughs> making me laugh. So I wrote in the notes, this is a classic case of too much Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> and my point is, uh, so I don't even remember. Did you guys know that I live across the street from too much Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... The, the the Kelly that Matt experiences as a neighbor <laughs> should never be up on the platform. There's so, hangry Kelly. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was actually thinking, and it made me laugh when it came into my head. I was thinking about how we talk about the bulls and the bears and the cubs. Uh, why aren't we ambassadors for Christ? Who are we ambassadors for? And then the cubs saying, try not to suck. And I was going to apply that to our ambassadorial calling. <laughs> I thought that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have little kids in the service and so all I have to do is try not to <laughs> suck. <laughs> okay, so preaching and it's, this is an opportunity for me to say uh, offer some passion on preaching here. Preaching is a delicate balance, to be very honest, between sharing something of yourself but not making it about you. Hmm. And when things like this happen in preaching, I'm reminded that what I find funny or what I find interesting is not always valuable to others. And preachers that it's great to have people that are really comfortable up on the platform, but you can, you can grow too comfortable on the platform and it can quickly become about you and connecting with people in a way that makes me feel good about me rather than people feeling or seeing Jesus more clearly. And um, I ride that line. Mm -hmm. There's a, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm in a uh, preaching class right now in seminary, and we're going through Haddon Robinson's preaching book. And this is like straight out of one of the early chapters. It's like, it is you, you are presenting your, you know, people do want to know you. They do want to, you know, and, but there's a balance like what you're talking about and you don't want to cross the line where it just turns into a stand up, you know, and it's, yeah. but it, it, but it is, a, there is a good component of preaching that is, that is you and you want that to, to be yeah. there, but you got to ride, ride the line. Mm-hmm. People rightly want to know their shepherds. They want to know you, Matt, you're leading us in song every week, John, they want to lead, they want to know you, um, and, and rightly so. And there's an so, integrity. Sort of. They sort of <laughs> <laughs> Some do. But, but there's, <laughs> I'm kidding. But it's not about us. Right. It's about Christ. Yep. And it's, a, it's about us getting to know Christ through his word. Yeah, I've read some preaching books or you read articles of, you know, pe- pastors that burn out or, you know, stories of... Um, the dangers that pastors get in, like these kind of, and one of the themes that often comes out is a pressure to represent yourself because people are coming to hear you, um, causes a danger of the celebrity ism kind of thing. And, um, you know, you're, you're having to come up with things that are funny or things that you've done or things that you, you know, your personality, too much of that leads to a really, really bad place. Um, you want enough of it 
where people know you're a real person that you've done, um, you've made mistakes and you've done, you know, you, but too much of it. And is the church following you or are they following the word of God? Yeah. And, um, the other hand is too not enough where you're hiding. No transparency. You're, you're always the victor in your own stories. It's only examples of good things that you've done. No humor, no engagement makes the word of God seem not appealing or to, to some, we don't ever have to make it more appealing, but unapplicable, right? Like it has this, has the word of God changed this guy at all? Right. (laughs) The word of God's a personal and it's, congregational. Mm-hmm. It's me and it's we, to mm-hmm. your point. Yeah. yeah. And then if it all spells you just at the end of it, you say you found $20 on the, on the ground. Right? <laughs> what? <laughs> but that's just the, that if, if it goes sideways, you can just end, end it by saying, and then I found 20 bucks on the ground. <laughs> You guys never heard that before? No. Oh, that's how you make every story better that tanks. You just, and then oh, I found $20 oh. on the <laughs> Makes it better. Because it's not I happening did. right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this making this story a lot better, Matt. There's you, a, your, your example, I thought you did a good job when you talked about your, and you have brought this up before, your, your childhood church experience. Yeah. And then you said, like, um, you know, it's, it was interesting that Mikhail Gorbachev wasn't actually <laughs> that was the, the Antichrist, Antichrist wow. which got a decent. Laugh yeah, in the room. Feedback. There's a bunch of people that have no idea who that was, right, right. but they get it, right? right. The, the story works. Yeah. I thought that was a, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. That's a lot of 50 and 60 and 70 years. No, I can relate to that. <laughs> I'm 43. My kids were like, oh, what? totally, but, totally related to that. And um, for those who want to bash Christianity for prophecies, hey, look at 2012, okay? 2012 didn't happen. Right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Spiritual age, people. Kidding. Um, one of the things that is helpful, I think, is Y2K. When... <laughs> that was another. Y2K. That was one of our finer moments. Y2K. <laughs> We've had a lot. Um, one of the things that's that I enjoy. One of the things I think is helpful is when, when especially when like you know you may have somebody up on the platform speaking and and you you might be watching and just making assumptions. You know, just like I telling yourself stories in your head about this person just based on what they're wearing or based on, you know, some things they say or whatever. But then when you do get to know them and when you do get to see how Christ has worked in their lives and what, what has happened in their life, then it like, it just, it changes the experience mm, yeah. and, it, and it softens your heart. And then, you, you know, you're convicted of things. I mean, cause come on, I mean, we all, as soon as we meet someone, we are projecting stories. Yeah. We are telling ourselves about this person and why they are the way they are. And, you know, and mm-hmm. then, and then as you get to know somebody more times than not, all those stories get unraveled and you realize you are way off and, yep. you know, there's other things going on in this person. This, this person becomes more of a, of a person, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's one of the things that I actually really, I mean, we joke about Kelly being in your neighborhood or whatever, <laughs> but, um, it's actually one of the things that has, has been really good for me is I feel a lack of pressure when I preach that I have to share with people who I am, mm. my personality or whatever, because I feel like people know me and not everybody is certainly right. our church is too big for that, but it's not so big that nobody right. like you, I, you, I spend a lot of time doing non-church right. things yeah. with people that go to our church or in the community yeah. And I mean, they know the goods and the bads of me and, yeah. um, 
you know, I, I actually feel like that's a real benefit to the size of our church, the style of ministry that we do, the the approach. You know, you, you told me the other day, you're like, somebody texted me. I wonder how they got my number. You kind of said that like, yeah. ha, 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 because so many people have your number. The, uh, yeah, so <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So if we, there's no pressure for me. I don't, and I, I, I know there's some, I mean, we feel some pressure, but like, I've always got to talk about me or something that Offer it's. Or for some. Yeah. Tidbit. I get that. I get that there are times and opportunities where that's important. It helps understand the text better. It helps us follow God better and helps us relate to the message better. But I feel very little pressure um, to have to do that. Cause I, and I know in some churches they feel a lot of that pressure and then also, uh, a pressure to kind of live a persona. You know what I mean? Like they live far away from the church so that people don't actually yeah. know what they're like in their it is daily the, lives. And that, that's chosen. They choose that. It's a blessing. Uh, we, we would describe ourselves as a residential church where we're a church in a bedroom community. People walk to our church. What you're describing is a distinction that would often be drawn for a regional church mm-hmm. where um, the pastoral staff may or may not live in the community in which you live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people, these are commuter churches, and there's nothing wrong with them. It's just a, there are blessings and burdens to both. Mm-hmm. And part of the blessing of residential ministry uh, over regional where people are commuting is we do see our parishioners. If I go on a walk, I walk by um, house after house after house. People are coming to the church. Yeah. It's funny. You, you so I have to wear my shirt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no more overalls with nothing underneath. Um, we laugh uh, because it's true. <laughs> there's a little truth in every joke. It's funny because I was talking with a parent the other day, and th- because they're, they have started kind of coming to Glen Ellen Bible, and their kids are really involved in student ministry. I've been coming and everything, and this person said to me, I don't really, I haven't really connected with Mark. I don't really know. I think I see him yeah. in my neighborhood or like walking around, and I'm always like, oh, should I? I'm like, uh, yeah, you should. Just that, go, that's why he moved there. That's why. That's who Mark is. Like, yeah. go and say hi yeah. to him. Go and talk to him about life and church. It's like, part of the joy of re, of residential ministry. Yeah, and there's certainly, you know, I have shared with you, Kelly, and probably others, of times where you know I'm sitting on the bleachers and I just want to be a dad. Right. You know, I just want to be a dad watching a soccer game. You, you don't want to. I disca- don't want to. You don't want to discuss why masks are or are not going to get worn at church. Right. Or <laughs> you know, are we going to put the blinds up or down? Or are we going to? You know, when are we going to do this? Or when are we going to like? Th- sometimes I just want to be a dad with yeah. all of you cheering on a soccer game. Yeah. Not everything needs to be talked about church every time I go anywhere. Right. Just think if you were a doctor and you know some people are like, hey, could could you just look at this real quick? <laughs> right. hold on, hold on. I'm going to turn around. And, uh, oh, your son just scored a goal. Right. <laughs> right. Could you look. At yeah, I mean it's true. Like, and I'm I know there's lots of a blessing and bl- a burden. It is a blessing and a burden. So. It's, a, it's good work. Yeah. Hey, there's a there's a famous scripture around which pulpit ministry pul- um, this nuance of how much to share is often uh, hinges. And so there's a passage in John uh, chapter twelve. First where, John, right? No, it. it oh, John, sorry. My yeah, bad. the gospel um, chapter twelve some Greeks are wanting to be introduced to Jesus. And so they come to Philip and they say, sir, we would like to see Jesus. And they're asking that could Philip introduce them? 
And there are many churches who write that on their pulpit. We would see Jesus. It says, we would like to see Jesus. And, um, and it's just a reminder that actually you can get calligraphers or whatnot to write it on the pulpit. The goal of pulpit ministry is Jesus. Mm. Uh, make Jesus more clear, more plain to us, help us understand it. And um, it's, it's good to, to be reminded. All right. We got two more left. Next question. How should I reconcile heeding the warning of not looking back and backsliding into past sinful behaviors? How can I find comfort and grace that he is sanctifying me in Christ while receiving the warning of judgment if I choose to sin? Yeah. It, it kind of covered a it, Yeah, it goes to 90% assurance. Of this, right? Yeah. The warning about remembering Lot's wife is not is it's meant to remind us of the threat that sin possesses. It, it is a lure. We we don't want we don't want to backslide. Uh, we, we want to run from sin, not toy with it. It's not, and it's not meant to make us question God's love for us, his power over sin, or his power to save us. And I would say, you know, the question is, how should I reconcile the warning not to look back with the reality that I do sin? Uh, how can I find comfort in God's grace? I'll give you three tips here that occur to me. Number one, we need to be growing in the knowledge of God's love. We actively need to be coming as best we can to a greater understanding. Uh, it's God who brings us to repentance. And so the desire not to backslide is a beautiful God-given desire. That someone submits this question means the Holy Spirit's at work in their life. So growing the knowledge of God's love, it's God who draws us to repentance. When you have a desire to repent, when you have a desire not to backslide, it's evidence that you're meeting with God's love and, and ask God to reveal that more to you. Secondly, celebrate God's forgiveness. God promises to forgive and cleanse from unrighteousness all who confess their sin, 1 John 1, 9. So that's why, you know, gathering with a community of believers is so important, celebrating the gospel. Mm -hmm. And this last one is one that actually doesn't get done very often. Cultivate spiritual authority in your life. In Galatians 6, 1, there is a directive offered. It says, uh, if anyone's entangled in sin, you who are spiritual, restore them gently. The challenge here is <laughs> to find spiritually mature people who will restore you gently before you're entangled in sin. We need to be cultivating in our lives spiritual authority. This is the danger, and I'll be frank with you, the danger at live stream church, the danger mm -hmm. of of people not coming back to church after the COVID pandemic. Only about 45, 50% of our churches returned mm -hmm. to in-person worship. I saw our numbers for live streaming were nice and high. Mm -hmm. um, and so people are watching online, but I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Getting entangled in sin is riskier for those outside community, outside the regularity of fellowship because they lack a connection to the community that exercises spiritual authority over them. I mean, there's a reason God gave shepherds to the people of God, because we're sheep and we're prone to wander. And, and the shepherds are charged with caring for our soul. And so sitting at home on your couch, conveniently worshiping, puts you in risk. It puts you at risk long-term. Short-term, no. And if it's wisest for you, and you know, we still have people that it's, it's wisest for them because of their um, risk, their viral risk. They, they're at home. But some are not returning just because it's inconvenient. 
and um, and I worry, and I, I offer a warning here. We we need to we need to be in fellowship, and fellowship doesn't have to be in this this big room that we're sitting in right now. Uh, but there are some who are viewing on television, live streaming, and they're not going to small group, and they're not mm-hmm. serving. Like and that's all their church experience. That's it. One Sixty hour. minutes on the computer. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. That puts you at risk. But it's nice to check that box that you did. This is the danger. <laughs> right. I'm being yeah. sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the, yeah, that's for sure. But you know what's interesting is that um, I've been starting to, I'm not um, well-versed in this, but I've been starting to, to read and see some of the stuff that's been coming out just about, like, work people working from home now and some of the value in that. More productivity, but, right? Yeah, productivity and freedom in their schedule and that kind of thing. But, like, enjoyment of work hmm. is is down. Because, Interesting. Yeah, and some of the, the – the, um, I was actually talking with some somebody uh, just the other day about this. But um, and in one survey, it's something like before, um, before COVID and the kind of the work-from-home life, people said that – you know, 40% of people said they enjoyed their coworkers and would miss them if they didn't see them. Now it's like 80% of people say they enjoy their coworkers and miss them when they, I'm, my point is that they're, um, in, in experiences of wanting to, to grow and to, to be better and to be, to, um, to strengthen oneself and be productive, like all the things that kind of are a part of who we are, it's really, really hard to do those things alone. No. Really, any great undertaking that, that you would try to do is often done significantly better with more enjoyment when done with others. This is why book clubs exist, right? This is why... When somebody A-A, sets G-A, out, yeah, when somebody sets out to run a marathon, they often get a running buddy to run with them to hold them accountable. You want to get in shape, you get a gym membership, and you have people a trainer. That, exactly. And so, to think that, you know, this is my point in all of this is that it's part of who we like. The makeup of who we are is to do community yeah. life in community, to be known deeply with others that you can share with that know a lot about you. When you, when we close our doors and we kind of, you know, hunker down, um, or only run with the same, you know, people and we never really get deep with them or whatever it is, it, the rewards and the experience and, and all that is, I think, is significantly diminished. I, I think, I think, I, follow the science. Yeah. You know, more than just, more than just God's word, which is authoritative in and of itself, would tell us that this is, a, this is crucial to us mm-hmm. becoming all that God wants for us. So. Yeah. All right, final question. I feel like God is slow in bringing his kingdom. I get the now and not yet <laughs> description of the kingdom. I just don't understand why he doesn't wrap all this up. Wrap Seems up. like he is dragging things out and allowing suffering to multiply. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Tough one. Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is I'd say that, you know, let's remember God's outside time and space. So a day with the Lord's like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to quote Peter. He's outside time. Hmm. That will one day be our perspective. And so one, someday uh, we'll look back 
and will not have the sense that he's dragging his mm. he's dragging this out unnecessarily or that he's slow. Someday we'll be with him outside time, outside space, and and we'll have a a, a greater understanding of our experience on earth. And Paul said that with that in mind, he said our, pre- our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Yes, we suffer. I don't want to diminish this question that seems to have some pain in it, uh, pain behind it. And um, so, yes, we suffer. I think I thank God that he sent a Savior who joined us in the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't stand outside it, but he actually is with us in the valley. But our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. There's a, there'll be a day. I, I always liken it to the kid who's so eager to unwrap his Christmas presents. This was me. So eager, Christmas would never come. And then when it came, it never occurred to me to think back on how miserable I was waiting for, I was so eager to unwrap the presents, all that suffering waiting on Christmas was quickly assuaged by the moment. Mm -hmm. And I I think when Christ returns, we'll have that experience. And so he's here in our pain. Um, he's, He's thorough in the plan of redemption. He's determined in the plan of redemption. He's joined us in our pain. We... His grace is sufficient. So even though it feels he's slow, he has given us what we need in this slowness, uh, relative slowness, what appears to be slowness to us, uh, to endure and to persevere, and we can live at peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, I think it's uh, several theologians have probably explain this in different ways, but one ways one of the ways that was helpful to me to understand about it is if we think about the the kingdom is here, but not yet, that there's this veil that separates or a a membrane. I think I brought this up before that separates us from fully seeing and experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God, though we get some of it here. Yeah. Yeah, We get glimpses and, and um, that there are times when that membrane feels very thin and you can almost see, feel and experience what the kingdom of God is going to be like someday here on earth. So uh, moments that you experienced, I know you had a powerful moment this past Sunday when you were praying with someone, feeling that God was, was healing, working, doing some ministering in that situation. Man, that's a, that's a lot of what the, king, the, the full realization of the kingdom of God is going to be like, right? That we're going we're gonna to experience that on this on a regular basis, like we're just going to be overcome, right? So one way that we can have assurance or hope or um, strength for the journey is to look for, remember, and share those moments of, of feeling like the kingdom of God was, was here with us. And, and we were a part of the king. We, we are citizens of his kingdom and we, we felt more of the kingdom of God. I know that's not perfect <laughs> theological expla- explanation, but you get what I'm saying. There's there's times and maybe specific places, like you know, spiritual geography, a place that you were, you know, where you you had this experience, a moment with God, where you felt His His love, His grace, or a healing moment, or 
um, a worshipful moment where you just, you felt free in a way that you hadn't felt free before. You felt like, man, am I in the throne room of God praising him right now? Like those moments are, are these, these powerful kingdom of God moments that we can remember, share, comfort each other, comfort each other with. Yeah. And, and, and seek more of, right. We want more and more of the kingdom of God, right. We want to feel experience more and more. We, we pray your kingdom come, please <laughs> let us see and experience more of your, mm-hmm. of your kingdom. Mm-hmm. Oh, my two cents. Should we be done? Let's be done. And then we all found 20 bucks. That's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast to 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God. We believe Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us and thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. Come tend the soil Come tend the soil of my soul And like a garden And like a garden I will grow I will grow So Boom! Prophecy.